0: Hello, my name is Mark Mark Dury, and uh, I wanted to share with you some thoughts about the difficult times we're going through with this coronavirus. Australia has been through a period of lockdown and it's going down again. I think people had thought that this uh, this infection was something that could be brought under control, but it seems like it's more something that you can slow, but you can't completely stop. Uh, and that's really disturbing. To, uh, we thought we could get through it quickly, but it's actually going to go on for a, really a long time. Uh, lots of Christians are uh, in unusual times. It's uh, not really possible for them to be worshipping together, except in small numbers. Uh, church services have stopped for months and it it's very hard to see when that's going to change. Uh, how do you live a Christian life when your world is being constrained, when you're being limited, when you're being pulled back into your home, you're unable to get out, unable to worship with others. How do we respond uh, from a biblical point of view in terms of our faith? How do we respond to the times in which we're living? I wanted to share with you some thoughts about uh, the teaching of loving one another in this time. I've been reminded as I've uh, been thinking about this uh, of my friend Majid, who's uh, an Iranian believer. He grew up as a Muslim in Iran and after he came to Australia, he became a a Christian and he's been living, really living out that that faith in in the last few years in a a wonderful way. But as part of his journey, he's had to try to persuade the Australian government that his conversion to the Christian faith is genuine. And what they do is they interview a person in this situation and they try and, and fault their faith, really try and find evidence that they're not a believer. So a government official asked Majid, you know, what is the symbol of Christianity? And I think what he was supposed to have answered was the cross, Um, but he, there was a a glitch in the translation, I think, in the interpreting. And he interpreted the question a different way, which was what does Christianity symbolize? What does, what's the meaning of Christianity? What does Christianity stand for? And the answer he gave, which was a really good answer to that question, was uh, that the the meaning of Christianity is to love God and also to have compassion for your neighbour, to love your neighbour as yourself. These are teachings that Majid learned from Jesus, from sitting at the feet of Jesus, because when Jesus was asked, you know, what is the greatest law? He said this, it is this to love God with all your heart and love your neighbour as yourself. I was really encouraged a month or two back to hear about some churches in England who'd uh, developed a strategy of loving their neighbors, of reaching out to people around them, taking food to them, giving them a phone call, providing whatever care they could for people who were uh, more isolated than they really should be because of the effect of the lockdown in the UK. And I thought, what a wonderful thing for a church to pick up a project to love their neighbors. Well, Jesus quoted uh, this uh, teaching to love God and love your neighbour, and he did it in answer to a question: "You know, what is the greatest commandment?" But he was definitely uh, not making this up. It wasn't an idea that came to him for the first time. Uh, it came from the Torah, and I want to say something here that often people say: "Oh, loving your neighbour is just part of all religions." But I have done some study into this, and I don't believe that's the case. I I think it's quite uniquely presented in the scriptures and it goes back to the Torah, to the Old Testament. Um, It's uh, it's paired with loving God in the way Jesus presents it. So in fact, loving your neighbor comes out of it, flows out of loving God because it's God's nature to love and we love others because God has loved us. Uh, So Jesus was quoting from the Torah um, and Jesus disciples really got it. You can see it in the letters of the apostles, those epistles as they're called, they they reflect this in many different ways. Uh, For example, Paul called it the royal law to love your neighbor as yourself. He said it's found in Scripture. It's really interesting that in the early church, the most frequently quoted verse of the Bible is uh, love your enemies. Uh, It really touched people. And this was in a time when Christians were facing uh, persecution and opposition and a lot of hatred. The thing that they really emphasized the most was loving neighbor, particularly your neighbor who's against you, particularly the one who hates you. Well, it comes from Leviticus. And let's have a look at the context in which it comes. It, It shows up in Leviticus chapter 19 in two different contexts in that chapter. One is in the context of how Israelites should relate to each other. How should Israelites relate to fellow Israelites, people from their same tribe, their same community? And it says there that uh, Israelites should not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So people are told you, you shouldn't treat the people of Israel, the people of your own community as other than you. You shouldn't hate them. You shouldn't separate yourself emotionally from them, psychologically from them. You shouldn't say they are those people, but we are us. You shouldn't say there's them and us. You should say us for all of them. Okay. Okay. So that's instruction for relating to fellow Israelites. That's one thing. But later in another context in in chapter 19, it it says um, that you should also treat the foreigner in the same way. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So this is saying that the children of the stranger, of the foreigner, you should love them as much as you love your own children. You should love their families as much as you love your families. Uh, It's a very powerful statement, really, that you should treat other people as you treat the people that you regard as your own people. And in Leviticus 24, it's elaborated. It's it's explained more. And it it says there in the Torah, in the law of Moses, that uh, the Israelites should have one law for all people. They shouldn't have one law for Israelites and another law for the others. They should treat them equally. It's a really amazing perspective that they had that you should incorporate, and especially for a a nation, a community that was so focused on their spiritual identity. You know, it would be so easy for them to say, we are the Israelites. These are inferior people. They should suffer for it. But actually the law says treat them the same. You are to have the same law for the foreigner as you have for the native born. It says, I am the Lord, your God. Well, what, what do we make of these particular statements? How can we understand them? I want to make, uh, draw out four aspects of them for you. One is it's saying that, um, that the people of Israel should act with compassion towards others. And compassion is the ability to feel other people's pain as if it's your own pain, to identify with their sufferings as if they were the sufferings of you or your own family. And uh, this this these statements really say these people are like you. They they are people just like you and you should love them as you love yourself. When you see others, you should see your face in their faces. There's also an emphasis on what has happened to you that would inform you about this, that is The Israelites were once foreigners in Egypt and they were eventually really brutally treated. They were enslaved. They were always treated as outsiders, and in the end, there was even a genocide being enacted against them. And what God says to them now, much later, while they're in their coming into their land, is it says that they should be aware that people who are strangers and outsiders are really easy to oppress, they're very vulnerable and that just as the israelites were in that situation they should see other people who are strangers and and uh, outsiders among them in the same way you know what it's like to be oppressed because you're an outsider so you should look at other people in your midst with the same eyes and in the same way it's like god is saying to them i didn't rescue you from slavery so that you would abuse others i didn't rescue you from the hands of people abusing you in order to make you into abusers. Didn't you learn anything about why I rescued you? I saved you to be holy. I saved you to be holy. And this principle of reciprocity of treating others as you should be treated, or you want to be treated. This is at the heart of entering into the heart of God. Jesus in his uh, his teaching about prayer, the Lord's prayer, he said, you should pray like this. He said, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So we should forgive others if we want God to forgive us. And we should love our neighbors as ourselves if we want God to rescue us when we're in a place where we're treated hostily and when we're vulnerable and when we're in need. This is a deep principle to enter into God's salvation. We need to be agents of salvation as well. The third thing that's really important is that these are three statements that I drew your attention to from Leviticus, uh, one about Israelites loving each other, the other about Israelites loving strangers and, and foreigners in their midst, and the third about one law for all. These are all uh, closed off or punctuated as a word by a statement. I am the Lord or I am the Lord your God. Well, why does God do this with these particular instructions? Whenever God says, I am the Lord, or I am the Lord your God in, in the book of uh, the law of Moses, there is a context which points us to the holiness of God and a, a call for his people to enter into that holiness. So he's He's saying, you should love your neighbor as yourself because I am holy. And to unpack that, that means you need to actually enter into my holiness. In the, 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 the Bible says to, to the people of Israel, be holy because God is holy. So God is saying, because of my holiness, you should love your neighbor as yourself. That's why this is not just a kind of feel good, kind of rational command to people to be nice to other people. This is a call to enter into the heart of God, enter into the character of God and the holiness of God. And the message that it's pointing to is the whole message of salvation of the people of Israel when they're rescued from Egypt. So this calling to love your neighbor as yourself is a very radical call. It's a it's a call to have a heart full of compassion to others. It's a call to have, be mindful about where we've been and where we could be in the future. In fact, the Israelites later went into exile and they were themselves, again, foreigners and strangers. So this was like a prophetic call for them. You know, you should love the, your neighbor as yourself, because one day you will need that when you're in another place. Uh, and it's a call to be really radically inclusive. I think it's the most radical call to be inclusive that, that I have ever encountered. And it's a completely life changing one. You know, there's a lot of emphasis in our society about quality and treating people equally. But this is uh, this command really to love your neighbor, even up to and including your enemies is uh, is is the most radically inclusive call that you can send out. And it's the answer to a lot of the divisions and conflicts that are in our world today that we should see other people as, as our, as, as people of ourselves, as ourselves. We look on the faces of others and we see our own faces. We look on the faces of the children of others and we see the faces of our own children. Well, what does this mean for us? How can we in COVID times uh, live according to this calling? And I'm, I'm really speaking to followers of Jesus now when I say this. Well, firstly, there's a there's a call to love the people around us, our neighbors. They're the people in the block next door or the over the road or people that you know about, people who are friends, people that you don't know about, people that are locked in their homes. This is a time to reach out to people, to make that phone call, to drop around a meal, uh, to show an act of kindness, to maybe help someone out who's in financial need. Uh, this is a time to be actively seeking out opportunities to love others and care for others around us. It's very important. Secondly, I think there's a, a, a real danger in this crisis and that is it can, that it can set one group against another. And one, one thing that's been on my mind is that this crisis, the, the COVID pandemic, has the potential to set older people against younger people. I mean, we already have problems of conflicts between generations. Uh, in, in Western societies, because generations are so different one from another, and uh, they can often be quite antagonistic to each other. Um, it's the kind of OK boomer phenomenon, you know, where the younger people are just sick of the boomers or the older people that have their own uh, grudges against the younger people. Well, COVID-19 has a, is really risky because it runs the risk of pitting those generations against each other even worse than than they could have been before. Why do I say that? Well, the greatest casualties of the COVID-19 pandemic are the elderly. The older you are, the more likely it is that this pandemic will make you really, really sick and you could lose your life. And uh, a lot of efforts are needed really to protect the elderly, the, the people that are most vulnerable to the disease. And when there's an economic shutdown, as there has been in country after country around the world, the really the heart of it is that older people are being protected. Now, of course, there are some younger people who get sick, very seriously ill and die as well. It's not a it's not a light thing to catch this virus, even though some people might have no symptoms. But the reality is the people that have needed protecting the most, the cohort that's needed protecting most is the elderly. And actually the people that have fewer years to live still on this earth. They've had most of their years already, but the people that are hurt the most in terms of the economic impact, in terms of the shutdowns, they're the younger people, people who work in casual jobs, people who work in hospitality, people who have been starting out with their businesses and they don't have much reserves. Uh, You know, it's an absolutely crushing thing to work for five, six years, 10 years, and then to lose your business in, in your 30s and to have to start again, to lose everything you've worked for or to lose your house. So imagine a family with young children and uh, they lose their jobs. The parents lose their jobs and they end up losing their house. I mean, in Australia, uh, we're we're getting these mortgage uh, relief, mortgage payment relief for now. But eventually uh, the bill will have to be paid. Eventually uh, the rubber will hit the road in terms of having to pay those mortgages. And a lot of people will have trouble doing that. And this, this crisis is going on much longer than people had expected or thought. Um, so the younger people are really suffering, I think, the most from the economic uh, shutdown. And um, they will, many of them will look back in 10 or 20 years time, and they'll see this period as a time when they lost time. They lost years of, of seeking to build up their financial situation and care for their families. Uh, so that's a really difficult dynamic because younger people run the risk of saying, why are we suffering so much for the elderly who've already had their lives and lived most of their lives? And the elderly, on the other hand, uh, you know, they're vulnerable and they might be insisting on absolute, you know, everything shut down because they just want to survive. And uh, this is a real risk. Now, I think there's an opportunity for believers in Jesus, for Christians to reach out across the generations and uh, to stand against this idea of bearing a grudge of having animosity of one, one group for another, which has been becomes such an issue in our society, and particularly across the generations. I think it's a time for Christians to find ways of reaching out to each other and caring for each other across the generations. The third uh, dimension is to go further, go further than the older and the younger people in our society or the people that live around us and to think about the situation of, of people around the world. Uh, One of the things I've really noticed during this crisis in the West is that most of our news stories that speak about COVID-19 are focused on um, events in other Western countries. Um, You know, what's happening in America, what's happening in in Europe, what's happening in Italy, uh, what's happening in in Korea or, or China. And they're not Western countries, but they're fairly wealthy countries. And what we're not hearing much about at all is how this is playing out in amongst the poor of the world. And there are some countries that have a lot of wealth like India, but they have a lot of poor people. And here's the thing that when the World Health Organization called on countries to really shut down and and, and enact social distancing, and close down um, as much as possible in order to stop the spread of the virus. The problem is that when you're really, really poor, you only have enough money each day to pay for the food the next day. And if your economy, if your economic basis is destroyed, you actually immediately begin to starve. And that's why in India, after the shutdown, people began to walk even hundreds. I, I, I heard of cases on the news where people walked more than a thousand kilometers back home to their home villages because they knew that if they stayed in the cities, they would die because there was no work for them, because their 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 job, which maybe had only consisted of of carrying a basket of tomatoes to market, to sell each day, that they'd lost that. They couldn't do that anymore. And they, they just didn't have enough to live on. And I think there's a, a, a really big problem emerging in, in many countries with people uh, starving during this time. And it's, it's, you know, it's one thing for us in Australia to shut down our economy and to, for the government to pour money into people's purses to help them get through it all. But many countries can't do that. And uh, a different strategy is needed in those countries. But I I really feel for people in in countries like Indonesia, India, Pakistan, um, uh, Bangladesh, for for so many countries in Africa and for refugees in refugee camps in crowded conditions. We don't really hear about those people. Now, the challenge is when we're in isolation ourselves, when we're cut off from others here in our Western situation, how can we care for these people? Well, we should be asking our politicians to increase aid. This is a time to be caring for uh, people in other nations, not to be pulling in, uh, closing down our vision. We should be. Uh, paying attention, we should be trying to being diligent to find out what's happening in other places. We should be supporting organisations that are on the ground providing relief to those who are suffering hunger and and difficulties, great privation because of the the damage to economies. Another thing that's also really important for us is that we should not be so focused on this pandemic that we forget that we have another world in view, that if you truly believe that Jesus Christ is your savior, that he's died for you, then you're not actually bound to this life so tightly. You're, you have a, a, a sense of your eternity that's greater than just this, this, these circumstances. It's bigger than, you know, the meaning of life is not just about how much we can uh, accumulate in this life and how long we can live. It's actually about having an eternal relationship with God. And this is an opportunity for the church, for Christians to be really clear about this, that we are not people who are frightened. We are not people who are frightened of our own death. We're not people who are frightened of even losing out materially. We are people who are committed to a a different vision. Jesus often spoke about it. He said, don't worry about what you eat and drink and what you wear. Um, He said, focus on the kingdom, seek the kingdom of God. And look, I don't want to minimize the the serious difficulties that people go through and are going through in these times. But for a a believer in Jesus Christ, there is a different dimension. And we need to live accordingly. We need to live as people who are courageous and bold. You know, in the early church and at different times through history, Christians were known, for example, for caring for people suffering from the plague, for uh, not acting in fear, but being able to reach out and care for people in need. And I think this is something that we really as Christians, we really need to take seriously and not just be bound up in the fear of the moment and overwhelmed by the circumstances. And particularly, we need to share a message of hope. I've been really surprised and challenged and interested to see a number of secular commentators saying, why isn't the church offering more than just managerial responses to a pandemic? One of the risks for us at the moment is that we are getting, you know, letters from the Archbishop each week about COVID restrictions and pandemic issues. And we're trying to manage our our live streaming of services or whatever it is dealing with our situation. But, you know, the most important thing for a follower of Jesus is to stay on message and on track with the fact that Christ came to save sinners. He came to bring eternal life to us. And we need in the middle of the world, which is becoming overwhelmed by these circumstances, and in which lots of things that people thought were certain are being stripped away. We need to be taking an opportunity to be really clear that our certainty has not been stripped away, that our confidence, the foundation of our being, the ground on which we stand has not been removed. And we are therefore in a strong position Um, to reach out to others. We have something eternally valuable and life transforming to share with people. So I think at this time of COVID-19, when people are being separated from each other, when we're being pushed in a way to be anxious about our own circumstances, um, Christ calls us to radical identification with other people and their needs, whether they're close to us or whether they're far away from us. And it's not just enough to be doing the right thing about social distancing in our own circumstances, we need to actually be reaching out and drawing closer spiritually, emotionally and caring for others, uh, not only close to us, but also around the world. We also need to say no to fear. We need to say no to political opportunism. There's lots of different groups going at each other and they're using um, this, this crisis as opportunities to actually escalate their hatred and escalate the conflict. Uh, the vulnerable are being exploited in many countries in new ways because of this crisis. We need as believers uh, to rise above that and to say no to that fear and no to that kind of pressure to become more fractured and divided. This is a time to widen and not narrow our horizons. We might be physically limited, but our spirits, our hearts need to expand, to reach out, to include more and more people. Jesus is calling his followers to love radically to love passionately, to be inflamed by the love of God, to to let the holiness of God fill our hearts. And by that, I mean his heart of love for others should become our heart too. His character should become our character. And also we need to hang on to and be very bold about the certainty of eternal life, that our confidence, our identity is not grounded in the things of this life, but it's rooted in the message of hope, of salvation, that Christ has brought to us. It's rooted, it's grounded in the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. And that gives us an incredible firm foundation on which to stand. My friends, I believe that this crisis will go on for a long time. Its consequences will be many and varied, and we haven't even begun to imagine the full extent of it. But one thing I'm absolutely sure is that when Jesus said, build your house on a rock, not on sand, He was teaching us about times like this. He was teaching us about how to be in a firm place. And one of those uh, firm foundations that we can stand on is his call to love God with all our hearts, but also to love our neighbors as ourselves.